0: Sometimes life feels like a series of transitions, Uh, a series of saying goodbye to one thing, while at the same time you turn and say hello to something new. Transitions are the chapter titles that we use in our own biographies. A young woman notices the changes in the rhythm of her body. Her visit to the doctor confirms what she already knows. She's pregnant. It's a great transition. Her body and her life are no longer her own. The cord which connects her to her child will never really be cut. Joy will be coupled with, together with lifelong adjustment and sacrifice. In a blink of an eye, parents drive their children to college or to boot camp. The moment of saying goodbye is awkward. Neither are really sure what to say. Both know that life is never going to be the same. The transition is mixed with emotions of liberty and loss. The processional music ends. And the bridal music begins. The father grabs the hand of his daughter one last time. As they walk down the aisle, both shed tears for different reasons. Within the span of 30 minutes, a great transition takes place, a new chapter in the life of both. It feels like a loss. And feels like a game. Last Wednesday, I stood outside the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee, where 50 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And he was assassinated not just by the bullet of a killer, but the bullet of a culture, which stubbornly refused a necessary and difficult transition. Kings dreamed that one day this nation would rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that all men are created equal. That transition that brought shouts of free at last came at a cost. Most transitions are costly. Most transitions come with mixed emotions. Whether you're giving birth to new life or giving birth to new freedoms Someone usually has to lay down their life. Acts chapter 1 records a very significant, powerful, and costly transition. The disciples are gathered around the resurrected Jesus one last time. They spent this 40 days with Jesus. And when you read verses 3 and verse 6, it seems like old times. Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God and the disciples have no idea what's going on. And so it feels just like old times. If you look at verse 6, when they had come together, the disciples are asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And the, the disciples have no idea that they're in the middle of this momentous transition. They're thinking backward while Jesus is thinking forward. The disciples' thinking was limited. It was limited geographically. It was limited ethnically. It was limited in regards to authority. And Jesus was preparing for them and using the whole book of Acts to rewire their thinking. Geographically, they would no longer be limited to the borders of Israel. The new borders would be the whole world. Ethnically, They wouldn't be limited to the Jews, but they would be weaving their lives together. They would be weaving their customs together with the dreaded Samaritans, the outcasts, the Gentiles, and even the enemies of Rome. In his final conversation, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's telling these men, we're no longer trying to get people to come to us and fit in with us, but we will go to them. We will adopt their customs in order to win them to the gospel. It was a transition they had witnessed Jesus himself make. The Son of God transitioned to a servant. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, it's now your turn. In regards to authority, the Holy Spirit would now supply their power. It would not be a power, it would not be like the power they had longed for. It would not be a political or military power. The power of the Holy Spirit supplies would, enable, would not enable the disciples to rise to the top, but to reach for the bottom. The Holy Spirit would not equip them to preserve their lives and customs and comforts. But the Holy Spirit would empower them to lay down their lives to lay down their customs, to lay down their comforts, all for the sake of the gospel. Transitions are costly. They come with mixed emotions. Whenever any disciple of Jesus seriously gets involved in new birth and new freedoms, someone has to lay down their life. This morning I want to examine a few tests of transitions that come out of the book of Acts. I want to see the challenges that these disciples face. And I, I want to notice the sacrifices that are required for them to reach out and touch the world. And as we look at these first century disciples take their first steps into touching the world, we need to ask ourselves as 21st century disciples, what can we learn from their effort? What can we learn from their challenges? What can we learn from their sacrifices? First in Acts chapter 2, if you look with me. I love the picture of this transition. Jesus has instructed his disciples to wait on a unique coming of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that in verses 1 through 4. This power enabled them to miraculously speak foreign languages so that people from all tribes and tongues and nations could hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. Not surprisingly, some of the people mocked the disciples. Verse 14, they've been drinking wine too early in the morning. They're, they're drunk, is what some people said critically. And this now is a pivotal moment for the disciples. How are they going to respond when, when they take their first step into the world and they're met with ridicule and laughing and mocking? Are they going to withdraw In his book, Gus Lee, titled Courage, he defines courage as the backbone needed at the point of decision. For Peter and the rest of his disciples, this was the point of decision. The question was, would they have the backbone that would enable them to to have the courage? And you read in verse 14, but Peter, comma, oh no. If you've been reading the Gospels, you're immediately nervous about this comma. You remember the last time Peter and the rest of the disciples had to stand up to mocking. None of them performed particularly well. Especially Peter. But will they have backbone? And the answer is yes. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. And he addressed the crowd, including the mockers. It's a courageous moment of transition, but the transition from cowardice to courage would be costly for Peter and the disciples. The transition from cowardice, the transition from complacency to courage, is going to be costly. Lifting up their voice, for lifting up their voice, all the apostles were imprisoned and beaten in chapter 5. In chapter 7, Stephen lifted up his voice and was stoned to death. In chapter 12, James, one of the inner circle, one of the three, the brother of John, was put to death by the sword. Most likely, your moment to stand up or mine won't be quite so dramatic Instead, it's going to come in a conversation with a family member. It's going to happen with a teammate in a locker room. It's going to happen in a cafeteria on your college campus or with your neighbor over dinner or with a business partner. Your moment to stand might be for the gospel itself or it might be for a gospel issue like justice. But if you're touching the world as a disciple, your moment will come. There will be a time for you to stand up and lift up your voice, and it might be something as simple as, I follow Jesus. And because I follow Jesus, I believe these certain things, or I behave in a certain way, and it might be costly. In his now famous letters to a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King was primarily frustrated with the complacency or cowardice of the white church, For not taking a stand against injustice. He writes in his letter I have looked at the South's beautiful churches with their lofty spires pointing heavenward. I have beheld the impressive outlines of her massive education buildings. Over and over, I found myself asking, What kind of people worship here? Who is their God? Where are their voices of support when bruised and weary Negro men and women decide to rise from the dark dungeons of complacency? If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, which we're reading about here in Acts chapter 2, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, it will forfeit the loyalty of millions it will be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Transitions, Martin Luther King understood, are costly. Whenever disciples of Jesus get seriously involved in new birth and new freedoms for people, someone someone has to lay down their life. Acts chapter 6. Very intriguing test. Past the, the test of persecution, here's a, an internal test that the disciples are facing. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a, comp- a complaint by the Hellenists rose up against the Hebrews. The Hellenists, the, the Greek widows rose up against the Hebrew, the the Jewish people, the Jewish widows that were inside of Israel because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What a test. The church in Jerusalem is growing rapidly and including this rapid growth are two groups of poor and powerless widows. And they're at least in some part dependent on the church for their food coupled with the challenge of just distributing the food to these people, is also a a challenge of favoritism that's taking place. In some way, the the Hebrew or the hometown widows are getting a step up on the outsiders, the Hellenist widows. And so a complaint comes to the door of the disciples. And the disciples have a poverty and a a prejudice issue on their hands. Consider how they might have responded. One, they could have said, this is a problem, but it's not a gospel problem. Poor widows will have to find help somewhere else. And if we preach the gospel with academic accuracy and convictional clarity, prejudice will eventually go away. I don't think this is a good solution, but it's a tempting solution. It's a solution that many churches have taken. But thankfully, the disciples are not too far removed from their last conversation with Jesus in the upper room. Burned in their memories is Jesus washing their feet. And then sitting at the table and looking them straight in the eye and say, love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. And the whole world is going to know that you know me by your love for one another. It turns out poverty and prejudice is a gospel issue. James chapter 127, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Disciples of Jesus in every generation know they can't ignore poverty and prejudice in preference to the gospel. Number two, the disciples could have said, whoa, full stop. We, we need to back off the proclamation of the gospel and focus on the distribution of food. And they could have quoted Jesus in the upper room in their effort to do so. And many Churches and many people have taken this track. It's called the social gospel. But the apostles still have ringing in their ears the words of Jesus go into all the world and make disciples by teaching them, speaking the gospel, telling people about Jesus. They understand that words are necessary. And all disciples of Jesus know that teaching is absolutely necessary. So what's their solution? Well, you can read it on your own, but the disciples have to actively get involved in both. If you lose either, they understand they lose their voice. So you can read how the disciples strategize. Just like disciples in the 21st century should do when they see a neglect in poverty or preaching. They should strategize and figure out what's the best way to accomplish both of these things rather than just accomplishing one. But transitions are costly. And when the church gets seriously involved in truth and justice or proclamation and demonstration... Somebody's going to have to lay down their life. Finally, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 15, Galatians chapter 2. This, I believe, is the most difficult transition of all. It's the most difficult transition for the first century disciple. I believe it's the most difficult transition for the 21st century disciple. It's an epic transition that needs to take place that Jesus is helping them understand. It's a a transition away from a homogeneous church to a heterogeneous church. It's a transition away from uniformity to diversity. And every disciple who has read Revelation 7 knows that the final gathering of God's people will include people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Every disciple knows this. And God wants the diversity of the final gathering to be reflected in his gathering today. But it's a very difficult transition. So God decided he would choose the leader, Peter, to take the first difficult step. This is one of the challenges of leadership. You get to take the first difficult step. And in Acts chapter 10, we read a story that you may be familiar with. Peter is in on a rooftop somewhere and he falls into some kind of afternoon sleep and he has a vision of some kind of, of a sheet coming down in front of him and inside the sheet are animals of all kinds, but they're all unclean animals, all kinds of animals that a Jewish person wouldn't even attempt to touch, more or less eat. And he hears God say, Peter, eat these things. And in his vision, Peter says, never. Peter's not good at just one time opportunities. It takes Peter three times to see the vision. And when it's over, he hears a knock on his door. Two men, two two Gentile men. Two men connected to a Roman soldier, the enemy. The person farthest away from Peter. And they're saying, Peter, will you come to us? We need you to come inside of our house and have a meal with us and tell us about the gospel. But prior to this moment, but prior to Peter seeing this transition that needs to, be, to take place, he would have never stood. In that house. He would have never come into this particular place. And he comes into the soldier's house, Cornelius, preaches to his family, and we have what scholars call the Gentile Pentecost. The, the wall of hostility dividing the, the Jews from the Gentile experiences its first crack. When Peter returns to his home, you won't be surprised, the first thing he heard was criticism. Unfortunately, that seed of criticism takes root in Peter's heart. It eventually blooms into fear. And we know it does from reading Galatians chapter 2. Peter is at another gathering of Jews and Gentiles. And while the prominent Jewish people aren't there, he's gathering at the barbecue stand with all the Gentiles. But as soon as the Jewish people come in, the people that seem to have some sort of religious authority or standing, Peter, in fear, withdraws. He can still feel the pain of the first criticism. And he doesn't want to feel that lash one more time. So he withdraws. And in the leader's withdrawal, many people follow. Including Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man. Fortunately, the Apostle Paul had courage at the point of this decision. He looks closely and look what he says. I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel. It turns out the diversity God demands is not a side issue. It's a gospel issue. This lack of diversity on Sunday mornings in most churches is what disturbed Dr. Martin Luther King. No doubt you have heard this quote. We must face the fact that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. At 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, when we stand and sing that Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation, and this is tragic. Dr. King was concerned that the lack of diversity created complacency. The lack of diversity created suspicion. He understood that in order to bring different people together would bring criticism. And that such a transition would be costly. Transitions. They're costly. It's hard to let go of customs and comforts you've grown up with. It's hard to face criticisms. Transitions come with mixed emotions. But if the church is to live up to its divine design, someone, someone has to lay down their life. Someone has to lay down their customs. Somebody has to lay down their comforts for a greater beauty. Fortunately, we're not left on our own. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've been given Jesus to follow. And our great leader, he made the greatest transition, did he not? This person who's calling us to a transition, he understands about transitions. Jesus was laughed at, he was mocked, he understood the cost to stand. Jesus knew that sending down words of truth wouldn't be enough. The word had to become flesh. The word had to enter into poverty and prejudice. Jesus knew all about giving up customs and comforts in order for people very different from himself to be saved. Jesus understood that new births, And new freedoms meant somebody had to lay down their life. We come this morning to a table. A table open to every tribe and tongue and nation. We couldn't have visibly seen it any more clear than with the testimony of Chase and Lindsay Bonilla. First time I met Lindsay, I, I don't think she understood a word I said. Now I think she understands maybe three or four. And I'm trying to le- learn her language, and she's trying to learn my language, but together we share this language the language of sacrifice, the language of transitions. It takes several more sermons to get application or implication of this sermon which will be unfolding as we go through the next few months and over even longer periods of time but today consider the transitions God might have you to make in order for the beauty of the gospel to shine greater and with greater intensity And for those who have trusted in Christ and come here this morning. As you think about how difficult and costly it will be for you to make a transition. Remember. Remember the cost. For him to get to you. And now he's asking us to go to them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we trust in your all sufficient, supreme word. Even though we have words of another kind in our mind, we are reminded at this table that you took a transition that cost you your life, your blood, and your body that was not just sacrificed, but it was given. given as a reminder of what you've done for us and given as a reminder of what you want us to do in your name. Would you bless these elements, common as they may be, for uncommon purposes for your people today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.